Thank you, Luke, and the rest of the band. Good morning, everybody. Open your Bibles to Acts 2. We are uh, wrapping up our series on looking at the earliest days of the church, um, really the first day so far as we, uh, in our previous sermons that we looked at. Uh, we're going to wrap that up today. And as you turn that, as you turn to Acts 2, I just want to say a couple things just from my heart. First of all, these preachings the last few weeks uh, has truly been a blessing to me, not only because I uh, am in God's word and have the immense privilege of proclaiming God's word to his church, uh, but as I study the early church, CBC kept coming into my mind, and it kept, and you guys kept coming to mind as, in terms of drawing me to the Lord in thanks and in praise. As I kept studying Acts 2, I just I was just being affirmed and encouraged that our church here is honoring the Lord in, in the way we do things, in the way we honor God's word, in the way you guys reach out to visitors. Um, Patrick didn't tell me that he was going to read uh, that email ahead of time, uh, but when he did, I'm like, okay, this is it. This, this is, I'm in the right church, <laughs> um, but, but it's just, um, just affirmation that, that God is at work here. Um, so uh, I just want to say that from my heart, that, that I, I just praise the Lord for you guys. It's really a blessing for me uh, to be a member here and to be an elder uh, to, to such an incredible church. Uh, I'm also just reminded of how hard our pastor works. Uh, I mean, I'm, this is week three of my sermon series. I'm not going to tell you guys, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. Um, and our pastor does this week in and week out, and he, he faithfully studies the Word of God and gives us a feast uh, from the Word to, to enjoy. So I'm excited for him getting back here. I'm excited for getting back into Revelation. Um, uh, so uh, it's, just, it's just all that reminds me of how blessed we are at CBC. Uh, and it's not because of our doing. It's not because of, of, of Patrick himself. It's not because of me, right? It's all because... Of, of God's spirit working in us, the Holy Spirit in us now, convicting us and growing us uh, in holiness. So back in Acts, we're back in Acts, and what we've been looking at the past couple weeks is the early church, and what I've been trying to do is show you how much of what we do here at CBC is rooted in those days of the early church, that we are filled with the same spirit, that we preach the same word, and today we'll see that we practice the same disciplines. We'll be looking at the disciplines of a godly church. Now, when I was in junior high, I was on uh, the school sports team. Um, and yes, I had to go all the way back to junior high. I'm not, I wasn't, you know, that's, that's the closest thing to sports I have. Um, and when I was in that sports team, I learned something really valuable. And I'm sure all of you have pl played some kind of sports or been in some kind of uh, uh, physical activity have learned this, that you need to make it to practice, right? My coach drilled that into us. You need to make it to practice, no matter how good you think you are, and no matter how bad you think you are, especially you, Sergio, you need to make it to practice. And that's where we would practice. That's where we would do the disciplines of that particular sport, whether we'll be practicing drills, whether we'll be running through plays, or just shooting around. Those disciplines were necessary for the unifica unification of the team. When we played a game, you were going to get handed the ball at some point, and you need to know what to do with it so that the whole team can progress, so the whole team can score and win. 
Well, we have in the church various spiritual disciplines, right? We know about reading the scriptures, about praying, about spending intentional time with each other. And all of these will, of course, draw us closer to God. But one of the things that we see here in, in Acts 2 is that as we draw closer to God, as we do these spiritual disciplines, we become more unified as a church. We collectively, collectively become that powerful instrument in the hands of God to reach the lost. And as we grow to love Christ more, we grow to love each other more. You know, but take out some of these disciplines. When the local, local church and its power begins to wane, the Spirit of God becomes less influential, not because the Spirit of God becomes weaker, but because we close ourselves off to the grace offered to us through the words, through, through fellowship, and through the various other disciplines. But that's not what we see in Acts. This was, when we look at Acts and, and what we've been studying in Acts 2, this was a church that was initiated by the Holy Spirit and stood on the Word of God. This was a church that displayed the love of Christ to the people in the church, but also outward to the people around them. And this was a church that prayed for each other. And we see the Lord bless them immensely. So that is what we're looking at this morning. We, what we will see in our passage are the four disciplines of a godly church, four disciplines that are essential to the growth and health of a church. And I want to emphasize here, I'm, we're not just listing these disciplines, but it's really a devotion. It's a devotion to these disciplines. So we're going to look at the devotion to teaching, devotion to fellowship, devotion to the Lord's table, and a devotion to prayer. They are all in verse 42 there, uh, for those of you who are taking notes. Devotion to teaching, devotion to fellowship, devotion to the Lord's table, and devotion to prayer. And, and each of these really deserve their own sermon. Um, uh, but I want to cover them all today, and I'm kind of hoping that, that you, as you see it comprehensively, you can see the different disciplines in the church all together. You can see how they work together, how they are syner uh, synergetic is the right word, but how they all come together for, for the growth of the, the body of Christ. So as I studied this passage and I prepared for the sermon, uh, I couldn't help, and I mentioned this earlier, I couldn't help to think of how thankful I am for CBC. I see these disciplines being taken seriously here. There is a, an enthusiasm here about the things of the Lord, and, and, and part of me when I was preparing the sermon, like, I don't know if I'm preaching to the right church here. Uh, everything seems to fit. Well, I don't know what else I could say. But as we open God's word and we see his hand in the early church, I hope that you would be encouraged and see that God is at work in this church, that you will be motivated to, to take the next step here and to throw yourself into the deep end at CBC, to immerse yourself into the local body, to be intentional with your time of worship, intentional with your time with each other, and to give all the praise due to God for what he's doing here at CBC. So with that in mind, let's read Acts 2. And I'm going to start from verse 41, speaking about the, the men who heard Peter's sermon. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, 
And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day, and day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we read this passage and we look at this church, look at CBC, and Lord, all I could do is offer you the thanks and praise for the work that you have started in each of these people's hearts. Lord, I know it is your Holy Spirit at work in them. It's your Holy Spirit at work in me. And so, God, I, I pray that as we study this passage, that we be encouraged to excel all the more that we desire to, to reach the lost, that we would desire to bring others here who don't, uh, others who don't know you, we, we desire to bring them here so that they can see the body of Christ in action. So God, I pray that this, would be, this sermon would be encouraging to those who hear it. May your spirit go forth and encourage those in our church. pray in Jesus' name, amen. So by the time we get to the end of chapter 2, uh, I think it's an understatement to say the, impos- uh, the apostles have had an incredible day. Um, they received the promise of the Holy Spirit earlier in, during the festival of Pentecost. And as they received that Holy Spirit, they went out to the streets speaking in tongues, t- uh, in languages that were native to many of the pilgrims who happened to be there for that same festival. And it's there that Peter, being filled with the Spirit, preaches that powerful sermon that we studied last week, right, where he goes to the Old Testament text and shows from the Old Testament that this Jesus whom they crucified is the Christ, is the Messiah. And that's what we saw last Sunday. It was, a, it was the first expository preaching of Peter, of the church, and the scripture says that it pierced the hearts of those who heard it. All right, let's go to verse 37 really, uh, very quickly. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? But Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we get to 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. What we see before we get to the disciplines of the church is a composition of the church. Right? Who makes up the church? And it's simple. The church is made up of believers. Now, when we look in Acts, it's incredible to see that these believers are likely from all over the known world there, right? If you go to Acts 2, uh, the beginning of Acts 2, verses uh, 9 through 10, it just gives you a whole list, and into 11, gives you a whole list of nationalities that are there that are, that are being saved by, by God through the preaching of God's word. But there are believers. They are those who have been born again. They are those who have turned away from their sins and turned to God. And there are those who have forsaken all to follow Christ. Now, I want to linger here for a moment because I think it's really important that we discuss the composition. Because the following disciplines, for the following disciplines to be effective, and even for, the, for, for you to participate in these disciplines, you must be part of the church. Serving at CBC does not make you part of the church. 
attending on Sundays does not make you part of the church. Hanging out with Christians and trying to be a good person does not make you part of the church. You can only become part of the church. You can only become a Christian if you have entrusted yourself to Christ. It's only when you come to Christ with nothing but brokenness and utter need of his grace will you be met with forgiveness and grafted into the family of God. The reason why I'm leaving here is because I want you to examine yourself to see if you are in that family. If you have not yet confessed your sin to the, to the, to, to the Lord Jesus, then you are not in the family of God. You're not in the church. Your sins are still on your head. You, you will have to give an account, and that accounting, uh, accounting before God will result in hell. But as we saw with what Peter says, there's a free offer here. Be saved from this perverse generation. You can be saved from God himself, for it is he who will send you to sin. Uh, he, he is he who will send you to hell. But it is also God who has sent Jesus here. He sent his only begotten son who came to die on the cross and bear your sins upon his, on his behalf. He bore your sins that you could, ha you could have his righteousness. He trades your life of sin for his life of perfection. And all you have to do is place your faith in Jesus. So the question that I ask each of you before we move on to the disciplines, are you part of the church this morning? Have you repented from your sin? Have you turned your life of rebellion against the creator and have entrusted yourself to the person and work of Jesus Christ? Have you realized that there's no way for you to earn salvation? that all of your works to God are filthy rags and that you need a savior? If the answer is no to those questions, call out to him now. Call out and he will save you today. Do not let another day go by. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. None of, none of us are. Confess your sin. Confess that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And by faith and only by faith will you be forgiven of your sin and be grafted into the family of God. Now, if you are a believer here today and you heard my words, you could only respond with an amen, right? Because we were all there before. We were all enemies of God. We were all far off from the promises of God, but we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And now we are, as, as Paul says in Ephesians, we are be being built together as a dwelling of God. I think before we get to the disciplines, before we get to what we do as a church, we have to be reminded that we are a church only by his grace. And that's what we see in Acts 2, right? It is only by the grace of God that these 3,000 people join the church through the preaching of God's word. So with that in mind, let's look at verse 42. Now, in verse 42, Luke has a tendency to give these summary statements, and this is one of those summary statements he gives. It is a summary statement of these disciplines. And before he gets to that list of disciplines, he says they were, in verse 42 here, they were continually devoting themselves to these things. And that continually devoting, the word is very, uh, almost, a, it, it is almost a, oh, I'm forgetting the word. It's uh, reduct reductant? No, that's not right. It's it, reductant. I don't know. 
Redundant. Ah, redundant. It is redundant. <laughs> um, because when he says continuously devoting, to be devoting means to be persisting in, right? So, so Luke is saying they are doing an ongoing activity of persisting, right? It's an over and over again that they're persisting in these things, that they're going to do it. And I think just put it simply, these new believers were all about the church. When you look at that and you kind of zoom out, what were they actually? They're just all about the church. They wanted to be near believers. They wanted to be among God's people. And so that's what they did. These Christians wanted to be involved in the local church. And that's where our disciplines take place. The disciplines we're about to study cannot be done on their own. I, I, I think of like a, like a support beam in a building. Uh, we've been looking at a lot of houses looking to move and we're, we're seeing a lot of things that need renovation and we, I would notice, okay, there's this we could open up this, this living room we had to put a support beam there and I just thought, if I had a support beam I would, it wouldn't do much good because I would have a support beam, well I probably wouldn't be holding it in church setting, uh, it would be on the floor and, and nothing, that support beam will not be of any use in my hands because it'll just be lying on the floor give it to a contractor, right, someone who knows what they're doing he installs it into the building, and now that support beam is being used to the fullest extent it can be used, right? To, it has its fullest potential being, being used up as it supports that building, and the building stands. I, that reminded me of, of us in the church. We cannot be these lone wolf, wolf Christians. We cannot be on our own, apart from the church, and still say we practice these disciplines of the, uh, of the church. We need to be in a church where we could enjoy and, and employ these disciplines. So these are, taking in, in, these are taking place in the context of a church. And so what are these disciplines? And we're just going to go through this list here. They're in verse 42, they're continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So that's our first discipline here that he lists, is the teaching of the apostles. And so we saw this teaching last week, right? Last week when, when Peter spoke, he spoke with authority, he spoke with boldness, and he spoke from the scriptures, explaining that the Jesus they crucified is the Christ. And it was a teaching that these Jews have never heard of before. They never heard these scriptures preach from someone like them, preach from these simple Galileans, with such, and, and preach with such power applied to Jesus. And I love what we see in verse 43. What, what was the general reaction to this? Verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. There was a sense of awe. If we look, the, the, the Greek word for awe is phobos, which we get the phobia, right? It, it, was more, it was like a fear. It wasn't like, a, wow, that's really interesting. It was like, God is doing something here, and we need to pay attention. And that's why God continues to use these apostles with, it says they're performing uh, wonders and, and signs. He was validating that the truth that these apostles were speaking were from God himself. They were being moved by the Holy Spirit. And I just think in, in that new uh, early church, New Testament times, it must have been this, just this electric excitement to be not only seeing the apostles do these acts, 
but hearing them preach truth. And I don't think anyone took the preaching of God's word there lightly. The early church was devoted to the teaching of the apostles. And we're the same today, right? We have the apostles' teachings in the scriptures. And it, it, and it is as powerful now as it is then. It still pierces hearts. It still convicts, those, uh, convicts us of sin and shows us the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So we, at CBC, we read it with reverence. When someone comes up here to preach, whether it be me or Patrick or anybody else, they have studied everything they can about that passage, and they preach it with, uh, with caution, and, and they preach it carefully. We take the authoritative teaching of, uh, of, of the scriptures, and we submit to the scriptures at CBC. And because of that, I mean, think about what the scriptures are. Scriptures are the word of God. This is more than a social gathering. Because we have the word of God here, what we have is God speaking directly to his people and the Holy Spirit using the word to minister to our hearts, to encourage us, to convict us through the Bible. And so that's what we do as a church. We stand up and says the Bible, we stand up and preach that the Bible says this. The church must be founded and focused and fueled by the word of God. I think of it as, as, a, as a battery and, and a motor. Um, so a, a little bit of physics here. I'm not going to get too crazy with it. Um, so if you have a battery and a motor, that battery is not much good without the motor, right? That battery, you know, we could say contains power, but it doesn't really give out any power, right? It's just contained there. It's not, it's not being any use. Same thing with a motor. If you have a motor, the motor not connected to the battery is, is lifeless. Right? It's motionless. It doesn't do anything. But you connect the battery and the motor together, and now you get energy. You get motion. And all this wonderful physics emerges, of which I could tell you about later. <laughs> so we need, we need the motor of the Word of God, powered by the Holy Spirit, to lead us to greater spiritual maturity, to, to lead us to a greater love for Christ. That's the first devotion here that we see, the first di discipline that we see, is the discipline to the teaching of the apostles, to the teaching of God's word. Now, we, we did talk a, a lot about that last week, so I want to move on to this, to this next devotion here, um, which is the devotion of fellowship. So back to verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, that, that term for fellowship, perhaps you heard it before, koinonia, Koinonia, it just, just means a, a sharing, right? In the most basic sense, is a, is a sharing or having something in common. Uh, but there is a purpose why it's connected here in, this, in the text to the apostles' teaching. What we are taught is directly related to, what we, uh, to how we fellowship with each other. And, and so... Th this goes far beyond, what we share in common goes far beyond any kind of like social club or gathering. It goes far beyond any, anything cultural, socioeconomical, political. It goes beyond our hobbies, our interests, our preferences. You know, whatever you could think of, what we have in common overrides those differences because it is Christ who binds us together. 
the same blood that covers your sin is the same blood that covers my sin. The same Holy Spirit that indwells you and convicts you and leads you resides in me as well. The same Father who chose you before the foundations of the world is the same Father who chose me at the same time. You see, anything we learn about scriptures, about our salvation, about our power to defeat sin, about the future that we have with Christ, anything like that, it's going to pr produce not only a greater love and devotion to God, but it will also draw us closer together through the truth. I believe that's why there is a connection here, a, an and, a conjunction between apostles' teaching and true fellowship. James Boyce, uh, a great preacher of the past, puts it this way, the stronger your vertical fellowship is, the stronger your horizontal fellowship will become, right? So our horizontal fellowship with each other depends on how much uh, we're putting into our fellowship with our Father. Uh, and a simple illustration of this, uh, think of a triangle, right? I don't know why when I wrote this sermon, I was thinking very physicsy. Think of a triangle, and in a triangle, imagine that the top is, the, the top is God, on one, one of the corners, or Burgess, one of the, one of the corners is, um, is you, and on the other corner is the church. Equilateral triangle means all sides are the same. As you get closer to God, right, here's you, here's God. As you get closer to God, that triangle automatically gets closer and smaller and smaller, and we become closer and closer to each other, right? That is how fellowship is supposed to work in the church. It's not based on, oh, you have an interest in Marvel, I have an interest in Marvel, therefore we have greater fellowship than other people. No, it's, it's based on our, our love and our fellowship to God first. I, I think a crucial passage that shows this is 1 John 1, 3. 1 John 1, 3 says, What we have seen and heard we, pro we proclaim to you also, right, why, is, why is John proclaiming this? So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Even John saying, I have fellowship with Jesus and with God. I want you to have fellowship with us as we have fellowship with, with the triune God. Now, what does this mean for CBC? I think there's a lot of applications there uh, here that we could look at. I just want to look at a couple. And like I said, I think we, <laughs> when I was preparing for the sermon, we excel as a church with this, right? Um, so take this as an encouragement and, and, and um, yeah, it's an encouragement here. Uh, I think when we speak to each other, uh, it's easy and comfortable to kind of stay at surface level, right? It's easy to speak about our week. It's easy to speak about our favorite movie. Don't ask me what the top three favorite movies are. I tried that in the past. It didn't work out. Um, we, we like to keep it fun and light. And, and let me just say, like, I think there's a place for that. I don't want to say that. You know, I don't want you guys to hear, oh, here comes Sergio, better throw a Bible verse into our conversation or else, you know. No, I don't, I, don't, I, I think there's a place for this. I think there's a place for this, this light conversation. Um, but the role of small talk, the role of talking about week, you know, it, bu it builds rapport. Uh, I think it, it, builds, it builds trust and um, acquaintance or acquaintanceship, if that's a word, with another person. So it does something. I, I don't want to discount it. It does something, but it ha also has to lead to something as well. It's one thing that it does something, but it's another thing if you just stay there. Our casual conversations 
should be growing into stimulating discussion. Our chit-chat should lead to a heart-to-heart, -heart, and our talking about pastimes should lead to a focus on eternity. Why does it have to be that way? Because we should realize that when we're talking to our brother or sister in Christ, we have in common with them the incredible Savior that we must be pulled to speak about. We must want to talk to them about our Savior and what he's doing in our life and glorify him. I think this is where we get the most joy as believers, when we're talking to other believers. When, when we start to share what God is doing in each other's lives. When we, could, when we could say, how can I be praying for you? And someone opens up saying, I'm having this difficulty. Please pray for me. And we pray for them there. That's the fellowship that, that keeps you and draws you closer to Christ. And again, here at CBC, I see this lived out time and time again. I'll just be walking around at the end of service, not talking to anybody. I don't take it personally. Um, <laughs> And, and I, I hear these conversations, and I just praise the Lord. But fellowship doesn't end with conversation. It goes to service as well. And, and look at 44. Verse 44 in Acts 2. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began sharing them, uh, uh, sorry, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Let me just get something out of the way here before I go any further. Um, this is not advocating selling your stuff and going to live out in a commune. Um, we're not gonna do that as a church here. If you wanna go camping, I'm down, but, <laughs> but we have to come back. Um, uh, and it, I also heard it being used for communism and socialism. Ugh, that's not what we're talking about here, okay? What we're seeing here is the, di the discipline of fellowship in action. Remember that these 3,000 people who were just saved were all pilgrims, right? They came to Jerusalem to, to attend this, this festival, and now they're saved. They want to be around the church, but they have needs. They have serious needs, and so the church steps up. And I'm sure it just wasn't these pilgrims. I'm sure there was other people who were coming to faith there as well who had other needs, and the church stepped up. They shared what they had. And if they could sell off an item, sell a piece of land, sell whatever it is, and use the proceeds of that sale to help a brother and sister in Christ out, that's what they did. I love this because it puts flesh on a verse that we're so familiar with, Philippians 2.3. Right, we have Christ as, a, 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 as our, our ultimate example, but here's just an early church example of Philippians 2.3. You don't remember what that says. It's, they, it's to essentially to regard one, or one, uh, one another as more important than yourself. Right, you're looking, look out for the interests of others rather than looking out for your own personal interests. And what results from that is a fellowship that draws you closer to each other. I mean, verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. There is a unity there that resulted from this fellowship. Kind of an interesting word study. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into it. So, Koinonia is our word for fellowship. Koinonikos uh, means generous. And you can kind of hear that similar, there's like the same root word, right? The word for fellowship, same word for generous. And I, I don't think we ever hear of a church that is so wel welcoming and so loving, but are stingy with their money, right? As a body of Christ, 
the preciousness and worth of Christ, worth of knowing Christ, exceeds any money, exceeds any time, any energy that we want to save for ourselves. So if we already have Christ in common, what is it to give a little bit more money or to give a little bit more time? What is it to meet up with another brother and sister who just needs to have a conversation, who just needs someone to be there with them during the week? Yeah, I'm not, when we're talking about being generous, I'm not just talking about the offering, although that's, that's certainly applicable there, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at helping how we help each other out, how we help out another brother and sister. Uh, Paul in 1 Timothy 6.18 uses this, this word for, for generous. He says, uh, this is 1 Timothy 6.18, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So when we look at fellowship, fellowship works hand in hand with scripture. As we continue to grow in knowledge of the Savior and as we continue to study this amazing future that God is going to provide us, we should be willing to give off our temporary treasures, um, our momentary time and our energy. So it's a, it's a discipline of teaching here, the discipline of fellowship. And in verse 42, Luke continues and says the, the breaking of bread, the breaking of bread. Now, this phrase is used in the New Testament a couple of different ways. Um, one of the op ways it's often used is for simply eating, uh, sharing a meal. Right? That's what we see in verse 46, that they're breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals, and that word for meals is food or provision, together with gladness and sin sincerity of heart. The constant devotion of uh, the constant devotion the church had to the disciples' teaching and the devotion that they had to fellowship, I think, spills over into wanting to be with each other during meals. And I love this because you know what we see here. This is the first opportunity, uh, first evidence of hospitality in the church, that people were opening up their homes and saying, "Come over to our home. We want you here. Here's some food." Get out of the business of the streets, get out of the business of the temple, and come into our, our, this, our home setting. I think some of the, the best conversations I've ever had have been over a dining table with, with either at my house or another uh, house of, a, of another brother and sister. And it, there's just been some, some amazing breakthroughs in these conversations. These, um, these like humbling realizations that it, I get to witness or that I experience myself is just talking to someone over, over, over a meal. And, and I, sh I just think there's something about sharing a meal with someone that, that lowers our defenses, uh, not that they have to be up in the first place, and it just reminds us that we're with family. Right? When we have a meal with another brother and sister in Christ, we're with family, and, and that allows for great discussions to take place. So we have one more week in July, right? And then August gets crazy, and then September gets super crazy. So try to have someone over your house. Try to Im invite someone, or if you can't someone have someone over your house, invite them out to, to lunch or to dinner and be a conduit of God's grace to the local church through, through that means. Now, there's also a lot of joy here. In verse 46, it says, they, they had their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. 
And as believers, we have the most reason to have joy. We have the most reason to celebrate. Because we get to celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ, particularly through a special meal that we call communion, that we call the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. And this is another way that that term for breaking of bread is used. You can look at 1 Corinthians 10, 16, that the breaking of bread is referred to, um, is used to refer to the uh, to communion. Now, you might have a question. I don't know how many of you have this question, but you might. What's the difference between having a, an intentional meal with, a, with someone from the church and communion? Right? What's the difference? I think the difference, a big difference, is that when we partake of the Lord's table, we do it as a local body. It is following one of the two ordinances set by Christ. It is being obedient to Christ. So, so Christ told us that we need to baptize, right? And, and that's what we do at the beginning, uh, typically at the beginning of our, um, uh, shortly after salvation. Uh, and then we need to frequently celebrate the Lord's table. And so we're doing it in obedience to him. Uh, so that's, that's, that's a big difference. And when I say obedience to him, let me just also say that baptism and communion is not necessary, or is, yeah, it's not necessary for salvation, right? Doing those things does not equate salvation. Uh, but our, uh, our salvation rests on, on, on Christ alone, but what will result from our salvation is a desire to obey Christ, right? And we do that when we, when we have communion. So partaking of communion is, is, a, is a precious reminder to us of what Christ did on the cross. Right? We, we, we say it every time we, we, we start with communion. When we, take, when we take the bread and we break it, we remember that his body bore the wrath reserved for us. When we drink the cup, the cup is symbolic of the blood of Christ, the blood of the new covenant, the once for all death of Jesus, which Hebrews says, that he offered his life and hath perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Right, we are recalling that. And it is a, a, a precious time in the church that, that we don't want to miss. We do that here at CBC once a month. So next week, the first of the month, yeah, isn't next week, uh, we take communion together. We proclaim the death of Jesus. But you know, here's one thing about communion too. We also look forward to the day he comes. Right? We celebrate his death, but look forward to the day he comes. Remember, through this symbolic meal, that he died to save us, and that we'll, he will one day return for us. It is a special time as a church family, and, and can't be taken lightly. Every time we, we do communion, there is a warning that goes out to it, uh, that goes out with it. There is a warning, and the warning is that if you are not a believer, if you are not in the church, to let those elements pass by. That's kind of why I made a big deal in, in the first part of my sermon here, that, that to be part of church, you need to be a believer. You can't participate in this, in this discipline if you are not a believer. You will drink judgment to yourself. But even for believers, there is a little bit of warning too. You need to examine yourself. You need to examine yourself. You need to look at your your, your conscience, you need to confess your sins to the Lord before you come to the Lord's table. If there is any contention or division within, between you and another brother and sister in Christ, that must be reconciled before coming to the Lord's table. So it's not just a, a, a thing that we do. 
right? It's not just uh, if, if the first Sunday of the month, let's just do this. It is a sober time of remembering what Christ did for us. Communion takes us back to the foot of the cross, back to that terrible but awesome day when Christ took our sins, but it also, it also takes us forward to the great banquet, the great mar- the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the risen Savior will finally enjoy being with his church forever. This is what communion does for us. It brings us to Christ. And communion, communion cannot be done without prayer, which is our last discipline this morning. Verse 42 says, breaking the bread and to prayer. Now, the, the earlier church was a praying church. You can see it in verse 47 that they're in the temple, that they're praising God. Uh, very quickly, I want to go over to, um, yeah, let's go over to Acts 12. Just a couple chapters there. And I'll show you an example of this praying church. So Acts 12, we're, we're jumping 15 years later from, the, from Pentecost. And in Acts 12, uh, James, James, the son of, of the brother of John, had just died. And Peter is captured. And so if you're in that church, you see your leaders not only being, ki- being killed and captured, and what does this church do? Look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was made fervently by the church of God. They just go right to God, and they pray for, th- for their leaders. Um, if you go, we're not, we don't have to go there, but verse 12 also. Verse 12, Peter gets out, he, go, he knocks on the door, and the church is still praying, right? They are a praying church. They pray without ceasing. So we are a praying church. We need to be a praying church. We have to have corporate prayer in our service. And we do this over and over again, right? After the reading of God's word in the morning, so, um, uh, Ryan prays for us. Before our sermon and after our sermon, we're praying. Uh, 9.30, before every service, we are meeting and praying about this, about this service. We have nights devoted to prayer. We meet, we meet constantly to pray, and we set aside time for prayer. Why do we do that? Because we, as believers, can confidently approach the throne of grace, right? We have been saved by the blood of Christ, and we can now enter before God and lift up our needs and desires to him. So that's what we do. And it, my dear CBC family, this is, this is one of the things I learned at, uh, of being an elder for um, the past, well, it's almost a year, yeah. It's almost a year. Is the necessity of prayer. When I hear of some of you going through your trials, when, when I hear of the things that I can't do anything to help immediately, I have nothing else to do but to fall on my knees and lift you up before our God. We need to be that. We need to be about that. We need to be constantly lifting each other up because that is our best recourse. That is the best action we could do for each other is to pray for each other. And He is so faithful to answer. And, and I want you. I want to invite you guys to do something with me. I want you to remember what you're praying for this next month for CBC. Write it down somewhere, because what you're going to see is God answering those prayers. We don't know how long. We don't know what that looks like. But you will see God answering those prayers. He is a faithful God. 
And so we come before God and we pray. We, we, we go to God and, and we rely on his teaching. We go to God, which makes us want to go to each other in fellowship. We go to God in the Lord's table and we go to him in prayer. These are the four disciplines of a godly church. So what happens to the church in Acts? I think you guys know the rest of the story, but verse 47 sums it up. So first they have favor with people, right? With having favor with all the people there. And it, this is just what happens to a church. If, if, if a church is showing love to each other, if a church is preaching the truth of God's word, people will recognize that. Now you do get differences. Like this is not, Acts doesn't stay like this, right? Go a few chapters later, you get, you get the martyrdom of Stephen. We just saw in Acts 12 that, that James died. You're gonna, you're, we're going to get persecution. So I don't want to say that we're gonna be, everyone's going to be happy with us. But I do want to say that people who are looking will see the love of Christ ex- displayed here. And we know that they do. But we also see God increasing the number day by day, right? At the very end of verse 4, the Lord was adding to the number day by day those who were being saved. All we need to do as a church is focus on our disciplines and focus on our mission. Right? Our mission is to reach the lost. Our mission is not to save the lost. That's what God does. God saves the lost. Our mission is to spread the gospel and God will do the rest. And what we've seen so far at CBC, he's added to our numbers. And if God is adding to our numbers, he will be faithful to provide for his church. Friends, Acts 2. I, I, I try not to, to make my sermon a love letter to CBC. Right? But again, I am so encouraged by what God is doing in each one of you. We, and, and let me, let's take a step back. We have nothing to claim on this, right? We look at what God's doing. This is not on our own. We did not orchestrate this this, this whole program of a church and say, like, if we do this, we'll be successful. All we're doing is trusting on God and seeking him and doing these disciplines. That's all we're doing as a church, and God blesses that. So let us continue that, and let us praise God for what he does in the future. Let's pray. Father God, we are just so thankful for the grace you've shown to us, for the work you've done in our hearts. Lord, I'm so thankful for, for, for CBC, where I think about even going back, what is it, eight years ago, how you moved our pastor and, us and, and, uh, and, uh, and some other families to start this church plant. And Lord, we just see you, you have done amazing work since then. Lord, help us to rely on you even more now. Help us to trust in you as we go out and proclaim the good news to the lost, as we come along, alongside each other and encourage one another. And Lord, we meet, we, we, may we just see you being glorified above all else in this church. Praise Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand.